The following is an archived podcast presented by the Branson and Hudson Foundation for Podcast Recovery. This podcast is entitled The Terra Hot Smithsonian Audio Walking Tour. It is the first and only episode of the podcast. Welcome to episode one. Welcome to the Terra Hot Smithsonian Audio Walking Tour. We are just pleased as punch that y'all have visited us and are interested in the amazing artifacts and discoveries our great researchers and scholars have acquired over the years, all for the implicit purpose of entertaining and, let's not forget, educating you. We are so proud of our museum here in Terre Haute, and on this tour you'll be seeing all kinds of ancient marvels, cutting-edge science, and yes, Dad, don't worry, we're selling beer too. This walking tour is estimated to last one hour and will take you to every exhibit and wing currently available in our museum. And who will be your guides to educate you? Well, none other than my friend here, Professor Alicious Honeybuckle, and me, Dr. Buzz Gimble. Professor, why don't you tell these good people walking around here with their headphones in listening to us a little bit about your background. I'd be happy to. Thank you, Dr. Buzz Gimble, my great colleague. I am Professor Aloysius Honeybuckle, an anthropologist here for the Smithsonian II Museum here in Terre Haute, Indiana. I am a professor at the University of Terre Haute, Oxford, and I have taught at Yale, Harvard, MIT, and the University of Arizona, where I met my good friend here, Dr. Buzz Gimble, who is tenured professor there, but only online courses. Right, I'm now, the online tenured professor there. Now, we have a lot to go over, and we have a lot of fascinating, terrifying, extraordinary exhibits to talk right. about today. Well, So I hope see. you're ready. Uh, a, a little bit more about my background. You know, I don't want to just leave them there. I'm just some online guy. You said Oxford and stuff like that. So I'm. Li- well, I I'm, didn't want to. I don't want to talk you up too much. Right, I'm just blushing a little bit. So I, you know, I gotta say, I'm, I'm more than an online professor. Uh, uh, uh. If you are a local here in Terre Haute, you know me better as Buzz College Boy Gimble. The local boy done good. The paper called me. I am the only resident of Terre Haute to ever successfully graduate from college. Where I got a bachelor's Which has degree. has not been confirmed by neither me nor Snopes.com, but we're working on it. We're working it's on it. It's somewhat been a little bit hazy in terms of his background, but we're working on it. Anyway, I am an anthropologist, and I will find the truth and uncover I, his secrets. I went to the <laughs> University of Arizona, all right, where I got a bachelor's degree in cornhole sports medicine. I followed up this up where I got a master's in Christian evolution. And finally, I completed my doctorate in corn studies at the University of Corn. And I am, you know, returned back to Terre Haute, ready to, to educate and to take over, helping administrate the Smithsonian Tool Museum here. And, and you know what? I'm just so proud, Aloysius, uh, all the great stuff we got here. So everybody should start turning to your left from the initial screen and heading down that hallway there. And on the left... What is this exhibit we're seeing right here, Professor Honeybuckle? Well, on the left is the restrooms. I'm Keep just kidding. Just a little bit of humor room. here. So a little bit past there. So we have been working on a particular excavation site for seven weeks in the Terre Haute Badlands, unearthing the 80,000-year-old two-ton Homo Hippocus, which Dr. Gimbel dubbed the Salisbury Man. The Salisbury Man, Yes. This is a 12-foot-tall gargantuan humanoid from the Dung Age. Now, these hippo-man monsters were a sight to behold. They could easily walk through the swamps and hunt for bog cows or other prey, and they were known to drink their own urine to hydrate. Um, So they had particularly small bladders because they were just recycling it constantly. And from Um, the curvature... If you look at the curvature of the lower spine there, you see it is very kind of acclimated to kind of bending. And and many of us, uh, uh, not Professor Honeybuckle here, but my theory is that these early humans, due to a form of entertainment, like to kind of pee in their own mouth, chimpanzee style on YouTube. And uh, uh, that's what I think the small basal spine is for right there. Right. And the hippo men were known to make their homes out of their own excrement or the excrement of creatures, beasts, animals that they owned, and were actually early domesticators of beasts. So they would cultivate that, and the reason being for that was so they could get more 
feces from these animals. They wouldn't eat them. They wouldn't necessarily raise them to a certain size to eat them. They would just feed them and collect you know, the excrement. They didn't think to kill them and eat them for food, but they used their feces for food, rather. So why, why well do you think the they homes. collected so much feces? Well, it was the Dung Age. That was why. Oh, so like the Ice Age had a lot of ice, so in the Dung Age there was just there was just duty everywhere. Right on point, as usual. All right. Just well, as sharp closed. as we met. Case closed, then. Now, if you look at, at the kind of grand expanse we got there, we have a, a, a estimation of what one of these humanoids would have looked like to your right. As you can see, seven feet tall, around 500 pounds. Um, the diaper is guessed, but, uh, you know, that is something that can't be proven if they had diapers or not. We do not think that would, material would have fossilized correctly. And if we continue down the hallway, we're going to see that we have, this is the first of many of the proto-human exhibits we have here. Now, just a quick reminder for everyone. Divergence from a common ancestor chimpanzee took place roughly 10 million years ago, according to the best carbon dating methods scientists concurrently estimate. Pause for laughter. Just kidding. Can you imagine if some kind of planet full of George W. Bush looking hybrid men walking around using American Sign Language to ask each other for proof of nuclear weapons as well as bananas? America wasn't <laughs> even invented yet, you know? That wouldn't have even happened. Case closed. In actuality, the earliest human fossil located was only a mere 60 to 80,000 years ago. And it was in modern-day Warsaw. And this is where you'll see this skeleton here on your left. Homo pollicus. It was named Homo pollicus. These ancient humans survived primarily by eating onions and the harsh, frigid landscape of the time. They were resorted to farting on each other for warmth. Unlike most of the skeletons here in our museum, this branch of humanity exists still even today. However, new conditions threaten uh, Homo pollicus's existence. It is estimated that if a new Witcher game isn't com to come out in the next three years, this species will starve and be done for. Now, Dr. Gimbel is speaking of a very unique humanoid from our past. These uh, Homo pollicus were known for uh, rather abnormal osteoblasts within their bone. So their skulls are nearly as solid as steel, and they could be used for helmets, Um I mean, they could be used to be form helmets. Their their heads, some of them are so big that can be used as helmets. But this is significant because these creatures used to ram each other to in the heads like a ram would, and that's where the goats of many species developed this. Now, if or how you look deer ram at each other with their antlers, they took this from these creatures. Now, now, if you turn around here from the Homo Palakas skeleton and you look at the exhibit we have there, we have an exposed skeleton that's not behind glass. And you can see its head is bending forward. And we actually have a myriad of instruments here for guests at the museum to test it with. We got a little chisel they can hit it with. We got a little BB gun they can shoot it with. We got a little ball-peen hammer they can hit it with. They got a little kick uh, steel-toe boot they can just go and kick it with. You can see that the Homo Palakas skull can is resilient to almost all of these and can take just a, a real licket and well, barely we also even have a fractures. Nice, a nice little addition that we have is we have a little salt shaker. So you can put a little salt on your tongue. You could, um, you know, swish it around, get a little bit of saliva developed. Then whoever can hawk the farthest loogie onto the skeleton can win a prize. Yeah, we'll have that. We should have somebody working on the, the, the gift store there on your right where you can get little stuffed dolls of Homo Palakas would be your reward for hawking the best loogie. As you can see, the dolls are, you know, many people think this is a cartoonish or cute depiction, but that is not cartoonish at all. Their heads were about twice as big as their bodies. That's an accurate doll as far as we're speaking physiologically. Now, moving on down the line, this is going to be one of my favorite exhibits here. My favorite uh, 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 find we were able to have at Pimpo Orcus. Uh, originally named Homo Orcus, but they were changed because of protests from radical homophobic orc groups with Indian burn technology light years ahead of ours. Pimpo Orcus is notably different 
for modern humans due to its thick skull, thick bones, an extra bone here in its wrist you can see, and that bone is used to help it drive quads better. And its teeth, which are strong enough to grind beer cans, which scientists like myself and Professor Honeybuckle estimate is because that was their primary diet at the time. Many of Pimpo Orcus evolved in such a way that they followed around Homo Polacus, or maybe the, uh, 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 the Hippo Man, and, and drank their used beer cans, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the wounded soldiers that were left behind at big parties, and then grinded the rest of the can with their flat back vegetable teeth mm-hmm. in order to have a, a suitable metal shaving meal to have. Now, we rendered this skeleton here in its native environment from what was estimated. You can see it's kind of an Ice Age setting. However, it is driving a modern ATV. Now, carbon dating, as aforementioned ATVs, show that these ATVs were, in fact, 30,000 years old. We don't know how they got there. There's no evidence of them ever being built. Uh, but they were there, and they had them. Well, there's a lot of theories that we may have had visitors from outside this planet which we can get into later, of course. There also uh, we, is we speculation a, that oh, they ahead. happened upon this technology by chance. They just stumbled upon it in the wilderness somewhere and um, just made it. Now, we had a visiting professor, Dr. Yinzel Biana, that claimed that he went mm. back in time in order mm-hmm. to give them four-wheelers in order to help their ascension into a more uh, advanced race that would survive. And uh, that sounded like a bunch of fooey to me, and I couldn't verify anything that guy was saying. Uh, I, I, I was a big fan of his trademark cornrows, but I just last time I saw him on the news, he cut those for a weird little well, undercut. Dr. Yinz is a very curious figure he is a very um i would i wouldn't say i would call him organized chaos uh for lack of a better term because he has released several studies and um you know he's had a thesis you know every month basically and then he'll just burn them he'll physically burn them and he'll even you know stream it from an undisclosed location and say enough of this crap and he'll just burn it with a zippo lighter that um, you know has his father Sam Elliott on it, and I he, find he, that curious because he he tackles a project and finds everything he can about it, and then he destroys it, lost of time, and it's just what is what is the point? Is it all for his own personal gain, or does he maybe have a better understanding than the rest of us scientists working in the field and researchers who know, maybe he knows that if this were to get into the wrong hands, could this be? Uh, significantly destructive for all of us, which is I'm leaning towards that theory more because he doesn't seem to be a bad man. He actually seems to be quite cool. He's quite nice. He's quite cool. And I will say that we invited him here for to give a, a series of lectures. However, what had happened was that he showed up in his uh, Jeep Renegade. He had the doors taken off. It was a, a you know a baby blue Jeep Renegade with pink wheels. And he would show up, and there wouldn't be any doors on it, and he would kick out. Instead of getting out and coming out, he would just kick out all of his Wendy's bags and fast food bags into our parking lots, honk the horn a couple times, and then just peel out and leave. And uh, I don't know if that was his idea of giving a speech or if he even knew where he was or nothing. We've done countless analyzations of what he meant for that, and we're starting to make headway, I believe, in cracking his code. Uh, I mean, we're starting to make a little bit of headway. Uh, mostly what we have kind of derived from that a little bit is that, you know, he's kind of like the Joker, uh, if the, if the Joker was a scientist who wanted to learn things, but then, you know, the more we want to know from him, the less he gives and he plays with us kind of in such a way that makes me, you know, mighty frustrated. I ain't gonna lie. Well, I think some people think he's rude. We've invited him back to the institution and he said multiple times, oh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, or, uh, yeah, for sure, I'll, uh, we'll have to do that. And he, he didn't get back to us after that. And he's not outright rude. He just he kind of just is a little bit of a flake. He did show up to my house at about 3 o'clock in the morning about three weeks ago. 
And, 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 and you know, I'm getting out. I got my my pajamas on. I got my flannel bathrobe. I'm tying the waist. I'm walking out to my front door. And there's Doctor Yins, and he left the 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 Jeep Renegade running. And it was in my front lawn, not my park, not like my driveway. And all he did was he, he held out a cigarette and he kept saying, got a lot? And I'm like, Yins, what are you doing, man? Like, are you here are you here to tell me something? No, he just wanted me to light a cigarette. So I went to light it and I turned back to put the to, to put the ladder away and he was already gone. That's the craziest thing, too, because he doesn't even smoke. He doesn't even smoke. Left the cigarette burning sitting right there on my front, my front step. But he's but, done a lot of great work for the field. He's and done a lot of great work. We'd be happy work. to have him back. He did he send actually, us that gift basket. That was very nice. He sent a very nice card and a note. He was actually there, and uh, you know, years ago, I was on the dig team with him when we discovered the skeleton to our left, right here, the blue orcus. Ah, the blue orcs. Oh, the blue orcs is they are more commonly known. They're Latin kind of a uh, 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 kingdom and and, and and humanity and such as uh, we called them the blue orcus. But they are formally and uh, they are more casually known as the blue orcs. Uh, the extremely rare. These fossils are a you know a needle in a haystack to find. The blue orcs mm. were an ancient people with a very limited fossil record. Not that much known is known about them. But through bone studies and, you know, approximated physiologies based on the skeleton, one would estimate that blue orcs were a bit less sturdier and resilient than their primpo orcus counterparts. We can assume that this is an offshoot. One would guess that, you know, the primpo orcus' statistics of, you know, a plus two constitution bonus and a plus one strength bonus of Pimpo Orcus were instead replaced with maybe a more well-rounded plus one to intelligence due to their larger cranial capacity you can see right there. Many estimate that this made uh, childbirth quite difficult for the Blue Orcus, whereas for the very pea-brained Pimpo Orcus, they would just, the babies would just fall out of them right onto the ground, like no problem. Uh, we can assume they would have a plus one to wisdom as one of their statistics as well, due to uh, phrenology readings at the time, showing a calm mindset. Um, we got a, a state-of-the-art phrenology lab that was, you know, helped pay for by um, by, by lots of, uh, like, uh, you know, Scott Walker helped pay for some of it. We got a huge mm -hmm. dono from him. We got a big dono for the Phrenology Institute from Eric Trump. We got we've got a lot of really good work. Rowan Atkinson, up. Rowan paid Atkinson, probably the largest yeah. donation. Yeah, uh, you know, also known as the Black Adder. Right, Rosie O'Donnell gave us a lot of money for it. Um, but our phrenology labs here and Maury, just seeing, Maury, speaking yep, of Maury, Maury. And, and you can just see, and if you turn to the left, you'll see a, a, an illustration of their skull, and you show all the dimples there. That'll show a calm mindset. Uh, you know. Uh, a brain rumored to be so calm that if you told them good news, the most they could ever offer is just a slightly deflating wow. Um, insanely wise, uh, typically worried about lunch most of the time. They and were, similar to the Egyptians, being a, a grain-based society, the, the blue orcs were great cultivators and farmers, and they developed what is known as blue beer, which is um, beer sort of an older version of beer, as it is say, but blue, the color blue. Right. No real difference from beer. It's just blue, and it looks Not a little cool. to be confused cool. with, say, Labatt Blue or Labatt right, Blue Light right, or right, Blue right. Light or Blue Moon. This is actually physically the color blue. It's physically the color beer, but so it still it looks like It kind of looks like the best flavor of Gatorade, but it was beer. And speaking of beer, Dad, if you look to the left of that exhibit even further, you will see one of our first beer stands that we have available here in the Terre Haute Smithsonian, too. Uh, go ahead. That's $10 for a pint, but you can walk around with it. You get to keep the commemorative cup, which features just a blue orc holding a giant blue beer. And it said, I learned jack shit at the Terre Haute Smithsonian, too. And you can keep that for, for free. Uh, you got to pay for the beer. And you can see that their last their statistics of blue orcs would be rounded out by their plus one constitution due to their wide chest. They still have a, 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 a wide chest like the orc does, but you can see from the bone density that they wouldn't be able to support as many muscles. Um, their exact racial abilities, whether passive or activated, uh, could not be told without extensive playtesting. At that time, we weren't kind of 
you know, we don't have access to any kind of players' handbooks back in about 60,000 BC. Uh, we don't know if they were balanced. Um, some say that they were nerfed so hard that no one began to use them, and as such, they died out. Um, again, all this is speculation. Without a proper fossil record or a player's handbook of the time, we're just we're just guessing here. Now, if you would look to the right following here, we're moving to a more recent uh, species or race, even. The pigmen of the Rust Mountains, and they were, um, you know, definitely not the prettiest of the humanoids we'll be talking about today. Well, they were it, known to. Go you ahead. can tell exactly why they were called the pigmen. And, uh, you know, later on, after you take a look at this, there's a nice red button there, and you can play it, push that button, and it'll sh- tell you what the pigmen sounded like. And the pigments would catch their prey with giant traps that were boxes with sticks pried up. And they were made extinct around 7,000 BC because of a diarrhea plague. Moving along, we have the... If you hit the button, you can just see, I'll give you a little sample here, the pigman. We got an audio cue filed up. They usually go like... And a lot of... And, and that was uh, the prime we, prime method of communication. When confronted with uh, 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 predators or invaders into their lands, they'd say things like, "What's a sweet Georgia peach like you doing here, huh? What you or doing here, would, boy?" If they if they're encountered with a predator, they would wee 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 all the way home. That's correct. Now, moving along, now we have a more interesting species: the sulfur elves who were in the regions that are now modern Scandinavia, Russia, and parts of China. Yeah, a lot of areas uh, prone to having black and white movies or fond of the sulfur elves, the uh, ancient right. stomping They grounds. lived in ashen forests, and they had a... This is fascinating about them. They had a particular enzyme within their blood that would allow them to hibernate for years at a time. They can outlive many of their predators. Um, they were also the primary hunters of mustard boars. It would be often seen in the skies flying while riding their morning floaters, scouting for mustard nests. And now morning floaters, this is a whole different category that we can talk about. The morning floaters were wyverns that had a venomous bite, but were incidentally vegan. So the sulfur elves would use this venom on their arrowheads to kill the mustard boars. Right. And, you know, we we have also right behind the approximated physiology of what a mustard elf would look like, you can see an ancient example of one of the wine wells they they uh, dug, ancient. Oh, their wine! Their wine was said to be you know tunnels so potent into past so uh, intoxicating past the water. If you, they say if you want to make a good wine well and you hit water and you just stop, well then you're a quitter. You got to keep digging and digging and digging, get that water out of there until you hit the sweet wine layer below the crust of the earth. And this is where the sulfur elves tended to spend a lot of their time. Uh, evaluating, digging, looking around for new wine, rivers underground to find. Now, the sulfur elves were known to keep with uh, keep within their own. They wouldn't um, keep any truces or packs. They would often break them or double cross any other societies or civilizations they came across. They tended to appear on cliffs and give large speeches to the ones they had just uh, betrayed, often making themselves vulnerable for attack. Uh, Some speculate that this haughtiness and arrogance could have been the sulfur elves' undoing. Some say that the sulfur elves still exist today and are merely sleeping, waiting to crack open that big cask of wine underneath the crust of the earth. Just laying there within the deep tunnels... In their slumber, dreaming of mustard boars in that line. Now, if you take a look to the left here, we got our uh, one more exhibit we have here in the Terre Haute Smithsonian. And you'll see this is the smallest and thinnest skeleton we have seen by far. This is Homo wimpus. Uh, the ancient mm. humans, they say these ancient humans died out as little as 20 years ago. They say Homo wimpus died out because of constant stomach aches rolling their eyes so hard that they die, and complaining so hard that they forget to eat. You can tell from its skinny bones that they were almost made to be NPCs 
in an RPG that the main character would kill in one hit. It is estimated that this race only survived so long because early man and its progenitors kept this race around in order to use them as enemies in tutorial levels. When teaching their newborns and their, and their, and their recent soldiers how to fight, these men were perfect to stand around holding wooden swords and getting cut super easy and dying immediately. And they Some, have particularly perfect frames to be wearing a graphic t-shirt. <laughs> yes. They have they you can almost see that the or a cardigan. That yeah. That their skulls are almost made to have kind of top knots or little braids there to have on there. And you know uh the exact way this society died out is unsure. Many said that they just relocated to Brooklyn and interbred with the population existing there. Which is a lot of, there's a lot of evidence to back that claim. Because if you were to go to Brooklyn, you'd see that they're all very, um, they're very, you know, frail, weak, uh, thin. They'll be, there'll they, be. They think men. they're manly because they have a beard, but that doesn't, you know, necessarily mean they're strong or um, you can see maybe imagine two men standing on the sidewalk the sidewalk is literally filled with bags of trash because that's just what they do there and they're having a very heated argument where neither of them will look each other in the eyes and they're arguing about whether they should eat at trust or truce tonight now i want to move along well, did you have any more on Homo Wimpus? No, that is the last of our skeletons there. You can see the, you know, physiology of all them there, and you can see this Homo Wimpus with his cuff jeans, as we estimated was their cultural thing to wear. Well, we have a sort of uh, replica exhibit here to the right. These are the Tropic Dwarves, also known as the First Surfers, and they would create very delicate but perfectly aerodynamic and smooth surfboards and ride waves for hundreds of miles. Um, they were a nomadic uh, race, and they were always on the lookout for the perfect wave. I think that was the main goal for the Tropic Dwarves, is they are always on the, the hunt for that one perfect wave, which was considered sacred to them. Right. They, they lived in a shamanistic society based on worship of things like, you know, their ancient god named Tommy Bahama. And, and, mm -hmm. and just all kinds of things. There was a, a, a they were known for their coming of age ceremony, in which a a family would gather around and the youngest uh, um, tropic dwarf come into adulthood, and they would all have a, a a weird drink called a Maui Wowie, and they would all gather around drinking their Maui Wowies and sitting on the beach, and listen to just you know music about silly old cheeseburgers and whatnot. Well, they'd also use coconuts and other fruits to create a, uh, at the time was a gritty alcoholic slurry, and they called it punch. And that was believed to give one courage and clarity. And, of course, their homes were made out of bamboo. And they didn't, because, you know, they didn't keep them long, and they would just, you know, go back into nature, basically. So it made sense, because they're always moving on, riding the next wave. Right. And, the, the, you know, they were such a... a, a a different race from humans today because they were known never to sleep in beds and preferred the, the use of couches and almost always had couches in which the whole families would gather around and sleep on them. They kind of looked like, if you have to guess here, you can see the approximate physiology we would guess they would look like. And I want you to imagine a five foot two guy who retires at the age of 49 and he goes to Florida and he wears a necklace with a shark tooth on it. And he just stays out. He has a button-up shirt, but those buttons ain't getting used. And he just stays outside all day till he looks like a crispy little fritter. That's what Tropic Dwarves look like right there. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And you can see this exhibit. You can see their darkened skin, the wrinkles. Um, ugly, ugly little men. But, you know, unique all the same. Perhaps we should head on down, leaving the proto-human exhibit. And head to our next exhibit through the wing here. You'll take the path. You can follow the green line, as has been noted beneath you. Dad, if you're looking for another beer, it's straight ahead here in the Ancient Midwesterners exhibit. Mm. Now, on your left, you're going to see the very first civilization we have here of the Ancient Midwest. Now, there's been a lot of tales told out of school about, you know, 
how long even the Native Americans have existed in America. And some people say 18,000, 20,000 years, but we have evidence of civilizations ranging back 60,000 years here in the ancient territory, the cradle of life known as the Midwest. And the first one we have here is the legendary Doritos civilization. The Doritos civilization were known for their white pants that were stained in ancient decoration. Their large pyramid-style temples, rumored to be made out of gold, but that just seemed like a bunch of bullshit, people said. In reality, you can see here, there is a pot that we have listed here. This pot was used estimated 45,000 years ago, and this is where the first uses of ranch was created. Very, very unique to the region we're in. This is very special for all you kids on a field trip from elementary school, middle school, high school. Pay attention because this is your ancestors, most likely. Every kind of chip, they say, was invented at one point here. Ranch. Cool ranch. The evidence of the first hot chips were used here by making a crushed up bug paste and mixing it with local peppers. In which case, a fully cooked tortilla chip would be coated in such paste and left to dry. The lifeblood of these people were chips. Chips were often ate for dinner by the Doritos people. Chips for lunch, whole meals of just chips. Now, some people would say that's not dinner at all. They're just eating a series of snacks. However, that would be insulting and derogatory to the great Dorito civilization that gave us so much. Now, they also would breed what were known as night chicken, which were an all-black nocturnal ancestor of the modern chicken, and they had glowing green eyes, and their, their eggs were often luminous and used for dinner by these uh, Midwestern races. Right, with bright green glow, glow kind of like a green eggs and ham scenario, minus the ham. Literally gl glowing, like a... Uh, Even uh, though it's an ancestor of the chicken, imagine a, a chicken as a Pokemon. The night chicken would look like what it would look like if it leveled up and became cool. Well, However, the night chicken, like I said, were used, their eggs were eaten for dinner as opposed to breakfast. Right. So um, you have you six know, eggs for breakfast, you'd have 12 eggs for dinner. Right. Upwards of 12 eggs would be eaten. Two plates were required as uh, if you just started cutting into 12 eggs on a single plate, the yolks would be uncontainable, even with the use of, let's say, toast to help soak them up. But you can hmm. see the Dorito civilization we estimated went from 58,000 B.C. to about 42,000 B.C., which is longer than any civilization in the Western world has ever known. Yet, let me ask you this, school children, if you're listening to that, does the liberal media let you read about that in your textbooks? <laughs> well, I don't know because I'm not a child, but I'm guessing probably not. Because to be honest, it was a very stupid part of history where everyone ate chips and eggs all Over the time. Over here, found in the Midwest, dating back to 25 BC, we have the very first Ford F-150. You can see that uh, many of the, the metal components that are used today were instead used by plying together uh, ancient pastes with bones to arrange a satisfying wheel. The stick shift is still the same. You can see the eight ball right there if you're able to lean right. up into the exhibit. But many other things were different. The radio was made by entrapping a bird in a small rock cage and feeding him pebbles so he sang. But imagine right. a, just a whole truck made out of bone and leather. And that's essentially what we have here. They had heated seats. They would heat up rocks and put them under the seats. The, the steering wheel, you know, was typically, you know, uh, uh, of a rival clans, perhaps. Uh, 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 what's the hip, what's the big butt bone? What's the butt bone called? The, the hips. Yeah, you can see here that it's a series of two pelvises kind of placed on top of each other to arrange a circle. <laughs> and that was the steering wheel that they used. In lieu of an engine, they typically had a slave under the hood that was forced to crawl. Uh, ancient F-150s weren't known to go fast. Typically, no. 
they went about a hundred feet in a full day of revving the engine. And by revving the engine, I mean taking your whip to whip your slave. They were mainly status symbols that were used to show off your wealth and how many slaves you own, even though you could only fit one into your Ford F-150 at a time. Uh, many ancient races had versions of this. The hippocampus had one. The uh, 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 the Homo orcus had one. Pimpo orcus. Blue orcs were rumored to have one that uh, had a paint job that was completely silver and reflective. Uh, Pimpo orcus were known to decorate their ancient Ford F-150s in a gunmetal black as they thought it was the coolest color of all time. Which right. we can do scientific studies today to determine what the coolest color is. And we have narrowed it down to gunmetal or crimson cobalt. or cobalt. Those are the three colors we estimate are the coolest color, but we can't prove any of it. Now, now, now Professor Honeybuckle, what you got there? Oh. These are my yellow mustard pretzel sticks. And Based and, on a recipe... That was said to be created by the very first tribe of sulfur elves from the mustard boars. Oh, wow. Now, perhaps there's some place here in our museum where an, uh, maybe a hungry father who hates the museum and learning things <laughs> could get a nice blue beer to go with mm. those nice yellow pretzels that are on sale for five ninety nine. Absolutely. You know what? That's I don't right, care folks. What they say about sulfur elves, they had some good taste. If you take a one hundred and eighty look, uh, but right behind you, from the Ford F one hundred and fifty exhibit, you will see yet another kiosk selling beer and pretzels. So those beers again, a pint or ten dollars. Um, I don't want to kind of tip off uh, a lot of our money making system here as well, but. We do not card here at the Smithsonian, too, right? They didn't say we had to, so we don't. The police don't want to come in here because they say it's boring. And this is how we make a they, lot they of our money. That, that some of the, the police said that there's so many different races within here that they get so confused and don't know what to do, and it might be dangerous. Right. Uh, the, typically, the second they o entered the proto-human exhibit, police officers have been known to just immediately start discharging their service weapon into every skeleton they can see, which we've lost a lot of skeletons that way, except for Homo Plakis, mm. which just seems to bounce all the bullets off of it. Now, just beyond this um, beer and snack cart, you can see this exhibit. This is very, very special, especially being here, right in Terre Haute. The only known hairless Branson. Yeah, uh, when first unearthed, people thought that this Branson you can see here preserved in amber, about six foot four, a little shorter than most Bransons, and completely nude to hair. Uh, many thought this was the, the rumored female Branson, but extensive DNA testing has determined that this is another XYY Branson. Uh, something that just has led many scientists, uh, myself included, to believe it's impossible to generate a female Branson. Mm. Many uh, scientists, myself included, speculate that the reproductive habits of the ancient Branson were sort of akin to a Lord of the Rings-style mud birth <laughs> in which the Bransons would dig a small hole into a wet patch of mud and use it sort of like a primitive fleshlight. If you don't know what that is, Google it. And 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 emit and deposit their manliness seed into the earth. In which case they would return to the spot and there'd be a swelling in the earth about six months later. And a fully grown, bouncing, 13-year-old boy would come up and immediately start swinging at the first thing he saw. And the first thing he hits, he determines is his father, sort of akin to a Now, it's, it's a 13-year-old Branson is not to be a 13-year-old or to 16-year-old Branson. It's not uncommon for them to not have body hair until that point. Um, but this one went beyond that. It could this be, you know, just kind of some sort of alopecia weirdo. Uh, as you can see, his eyebrows are distinctively gone, too. Uh, many speculate this could be to, to a lost bet 
or perhaps an advanced case of early bullying technology. Right. And <clears throat> next to it is, um, we, well, Dr. Gimbel and I actually excavated this and are probably the closest dig we've ever made, the lowest we've gone towards hell the closest we've gotten to hell we almost went there i got a little scared so we had to kind of back up well a little bit. it was scary we started to want to sin a lot more the closer we got it's hot but in this place near hell not in hell but near it above it in the crust was the first pit bull that we the oldest pit bull we could find Right. Uh, we estimate the pit bull has lineage tracing back to the velociraptor with its advanced intellect, and you can see the ancient pit bull here is about six feet well, long. Well, I said that Cerberus, the, th- the three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades, right. a.k.a. Hell, was a pit bull. Three-headed and pit that, bull. And you can see just this thing six feet long, estimated to be 350 pounds. We can do an x-ray of its skeleton here, and you're able to see there's about three just of some undeterminate race baby ske- uh, skeletons preserved right. in their hull. And you can see here, you can see here, they have an extra set of teeth. Just for chewing the bones of um, toddlers, and and this we found this uh, exhibit here in a tar pit, and, and ironically, right next to it, we found an ancient insurance salesman who had documents that said, "We do not insure pit bulls," on it, and he died from a bot, which we guess was, which we guess was the, the pit bull. Right, correct. I it was mean, the, that, it was the pit bull. It was kind of a layup. It's kind of, you know, some things in anthropology are, are kind hard. of just had to happen. Yeah, some are just hard, but that one was a layup. Oh, easy. That was like a play by uh, uh, Bill Lambeer. Bill, it's like a Bill Lambeer. You know, that was like a Bill Lambeer jump shot. Because well, I mean, you're kind of like the Bill Lambeer of anthropology, I would say. Well, you know, I'm kind of like the Bill Lambeer of a lot of things. Anyway, up here we can see uh, uh, right next to the, the to the Pitbull exhibit, we got the first instance of the Monsanto Empire here. Mm, much ancient, older than you people might think. Exactly. Ancient agrarians, a uh, 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 kind of early genetic manipulators. The Monsanto Empire was known to kind of do a, 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 a self-made manipulation of its leaders generating mm-hmm. additional limbs, um, grafting different trees to other trees and eating the weird fruit that resulted. Uh, many people say that the Monsanto Empire found the Fountain of uh, Life, Fountain of Life, uh, Youth. That's what it was called, Fountain of Youth. Took a big old dip in it. Some say they're still the same empire, the same leaders are around today. Uh, our, our largest donator, uh, Monsanto, has told us that that's not true and that they've done their own research, and I believe them, frankly. Well, they do pay for a good amount of this museum. Right. And maybe that's why the Monsanto Empire exhibit is so big, as you can kind of see for the next three rows down there, all that's going to be Monsanto-oriented stuff. You're going to see ancient, you know, agrarian stuff. You're going to see their blood sacrifice stuff. You're going to see, you know... A weird exhibit that just seems to be an altar covered in human blood, or I guess they tell us it's fake blood, but it, it tastes like metal. Don't ask me why I taste it. But, you know, that just says, submit to the Monsanto regime and you will be forever indebted to them. Vote for mm-hmm. Gilroy. And I don't know why it says that. They say it's history, but, you know, I, you know, I don't run the museum. I just, well, I guess I run it, but I take their money and they're scared me. So I don't know what else. Well, to say, I mean, the rest of it's pretty underwhelming, honestly. Like, if you look down the rat row on the on the second row, that's well, just mostly moving along here. We have rakes um, and stuff, and and jugs. Fossil, and, we have fossilized hot dogs. The very first hot dogs were, as far as, as far as we know, were invented in around thirty thousand BC. Right. And there's actually we have here. <clears throat> what kind of toppings are on that hot dog there? Oh, well, I mean, if there's fossilized onions, fossilized mustard, fossilized relish. Uh, is it, could it be uh, safe to assume that minus ketchup, that this perhaps could be a early prototype of the famous Chicago-style hot dog? 
Well, I don't believe there's any pickles upon it, so it's hard to say. Well, the relish is basically chopped up pickles, if I if I know my condiments mm, correctly. It's kind of a reach there, Buzz. <laughs> I mean, also, you can see that in this exhibit, the relish here is obviously has food coloring in it, which makes me think it is more akin to the Chicago-style hot dog. Uh, furthermore... Let's see. Is that a crispy hot dog, we, or was whenever that a microwave? We're in here, whenever we come in here, you say this is a Chicago hot dog, and I said that it we just don't looks, know if it is. It yet. just looks like it to and me. You, and you always argue with me, and I don't well, see why you're so stuck. I just, up on it. I just like coming in here and looking at it. Uh, ever, you know, the one why, thing about this exhibit here is that we had to. If you kinda, want a Chicago hot dog? Just go home and make a Chicago hot dog. I don't know what to tell I just, you. I just, it's just nice to look at one. To like make one, you just, I don't know. You know how it is. You know what I'm talking about. I this don't, is the, apparently I don't. You know, it's got you got to get all the condiments right, and you got to do that. And then at the end of the day, you're doing all this work for a hot dog. Well, if you just go to Chicago style hot dog plates, they just they put the pepperoncini on it, and they all this stuff, and it's got the sesame seed bun. And hold, on, I'm I'm fogging up this exhibit by breathing on it too hard. I gotta. If you can hit the red button there to the side, that's kind of if like you a look over here, everyone, you could see ten thousand years before this hot dog was around, we had this bowl of chili. Ooh. Now, have we ever done a thermal scan on this fossilized chili to see if perhaps there's a chili dog somewhere in that chili and it just got covered? There's no I've, hot dogs in there. I've been trying to convince the uh, museum to let me just kind of crack that open and just see if there's a hot dog in there. They say, no, it's a valuable piece to understand. We're not going to let you crack it open. And I'm just like, come on, man. I want to see if a hot dog in there. That sounds so good right now. And, you know, I keep, maybe we could just put them at the. This is literally a hot dog stand like every other hallway in this museum. They don't look, yeah, but, yeah. They ain't got the sesame seed buns like these ones do. Who cares? Just get a couple. Tide you over. It's you don't not, even think about it anymore. I don't even tide myself over. It's about good food. If you just don't like good food or whatever, it's just. We'll get you some hot dogs after this. Let's finish right, the tour. All right, all right, all right, all right. And uh, keep in mind, if you're able to look right next to that hot dog exhibit, too, you can also ask for a cup of blue beer for $10. Every single cup you drink, me and Professor Honeybuckle get a dollar. And that's the only salary we get here at Smithsonian 2 here in Terre Haute. Funny enough, we get so much traffic in this museum that we're both making six figures. So you do the math. Now, moving along here, we can moving see... Moving along here. A very cryptic, mysterious, almost like avant-garde civilization here. We have what appears to be the Hudson family empire, ranging in the kind of, you know, Great Lakes area, expanded from Toronto all the way to Chicago at one point. Hudson family empire was known for its cryptic, dreamlike rulership, in which Typically, the leader, the patriarch of the family, would just govern by whatever weird dreams he had. Large, elaborate, boring ones where he would just talk about women that didn't want him and dreaming about being different people. It was a very confusing and frankly stupid civilization that just was prone to moods. Prone to. No, I, I don't see what's so stupid or boring about them. I found them quite fascinating. They just is they're just more a, complex and you know more sophisticated than other of these. And and when the denim and the denim shortage came, the Hudson family empire evaporated nearly immediately. And, and and no one's able to find much of a record of them other than vague cryptic references in Scandinavian. I don't know. You're or you're German. literally. Gimble, you're talk. The Hudsons are a prominent family within Terre Haute. You, they, they run into half of this, this, this place. Yeah, they they run the museum. This is part of their territory. You're saying they fell apart, though. You're saying they're like they're not existing. Well, the empire fell apart. There's still some stragglers around, but you know the reason why their empire fell apart is because you know all that cryptic denim. Cryptic denim. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Now, this cryptic denim. Explain to these people what cryptic denim means. Well, they wore a lot of dark clothes. They wore a lot of backwards hats. They were prone to moods. 
And their jean jackets had cryptic sayings on the back of them. That's not confirmed. Well, you know, moving along, we can see a, a, a favorite exhibit here. And I feel like you know, you're just you're just making up things about certain exhibits that aren't confirmed or not backed by research. And it's well, just I'm just I, I, I to call them how I see them, and, I, and I'm speculating a little bit on the Hudson Family Empire. I'm starting to see a little bit of your brother. Well, you know, Reed is a different being than I. I'm more of a scientist than he is, and he is more of a well, you know, he's been missing for about six months. If you have any info on Reed, um, he's the dead. only he's dead. I, I keep having dreams about him. Where he oh, is. Oh, so now dreams are interesting, huh? Mm. Well, I don't think he's dead. I think, you know, maybe there's something to be explained about it. I don't know. You know, I, I think dreams are interesting when, like, stuff happens, not like when you're stuck in a French airport and you see your ex girlfriend walking away, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you want a big pretzel and you're mad at somebody else you see with a big pretzel, and then the dream ends. And also, everything is presumably in black and white mm. with just. Vague references towards Catholicism in it. You know. But that's fine, too. Anyway, I had a dream about Reed where he's just in this floating purple ether. And he keeps looking at me with this undead face. And all he keeps yelling and howling at me almost like like, like, like a weird little, I don't even know, like a ghoul or something. He just keeps saying, dudes rock, dudes rock. Now, is that, do you think I, that has to do with our, our work that we do here? Yeah, I think it has to do with rock. our next exhibit here, which if you keep walking through the exhibit. Watch your head here. Watch your head, because this one is built a little bit ago, back when the average height of Terra Hot was four foot five, back in 1993, before Monsanto founded a nice factory here to make us all big and strong. Now, if you're walking in here, the dude's rock is right in the center of the room. The world's most masculine diamond, which is attracts a bulk of our visitors here, our out-of-towners to Terra Hot who want to see the dude's rock diamond. And you can see it's glinting in a, in a cool masculine color, gray. The most masculine color there is. Well, there's only real two masculine colors, gray and brown. Well, some and days in the right light, it's brown. Yeah. It's a nice gray-brown diamond, you know? Something that, you know, women wouldn't like. And, it, and it's not cut fancy. It's cut in a nice square. It's a nice square <laughs> diamond that's gray and brown. It's and a building it's a, block. Yeah, exactly. It's about three inches cubed and it's right here valued at over 50 million dollars in the terra hot smithsonian a large part of our survival has depended on letting rappers come in here and do music videos where they pretend the diamonds are like they're nuts or something like that and and we make quite a good living off of that but anybody that gets within three feet of the diamond without paying for it is immediately shot by our Duke Nukem-style pig cops guarding it at all times. And you would not believe how much these pig cops cost. Well, the Dude's Rock was the the apple of the eye of Dr. Yins Ljubljana, who performed a heist to take it, which right. he succeeded in. And once For a he, couple months, yeah. He had it. Um, people didn't know about this because we kept it you know, on, on the down low. But Dr. Yins succeeded in stealing the dude's rock. And when he gave it back, we said, why did you give it back? And he said, well, dude's rock. So I think it should be here, which well, we still don't understand. He said he didn't need it. He just wanted to see if he could get it. Well, and then he crop dusted us. Like not with like a biplane. He did that later though. He, he actually got quite into the habit of following me around in a biplane as I did my weekly stroll through cornfields and I had to duck to the ground. He thought that was funny, but in, in that case... Well, there's a one time he the, threw a bag... Of, there's a one time he threw the bag of cash at you, so you didn't Right, mind. it hit me right in the back, right in the small of my back, and it fixed my back a little bit, actually. And I checked that bag, It was like guess $55 what? million. Dollars. It was $55 million. I'm like, why are you throwing me from that by a bod plane? 
And then Dr. Yens, he was flying away in the plane. He said, why do you throw that at me? And then his voice, you could hear it. And it sounded like it was just right next to you. And he said, oh, well, I don't need this anymore. He <laughs> That's away. right. That's right. And then he spelled out in smoke, smell you later, and flew off. <sighs> so cool. All right. Such so a fascinating every- figure. Look, but don't touch with the dude's rock there because... Uh, you might want to hold your breath, too, because it doesn't smell the best. Right. The dude's rock is known to have kind of like a a, a, a swampy undertones. I don't know if I'm putting that right. Um the dude's rock permanently. If you would like a breathing mask, there are fifteen dollars over there right. by the beer cart. Uh, the dude's you rock can buy a blue beer permanently uh, smells like a hockey gym bag. If you're familiar with that, mm. it smells like you know just a paper towel that's been just soaking in your taint while you play pickup basketball with the most overweight men in the world. So that's about what the dude rocks is smelling. And I'm sure if you're listening, you're smelling it right now. And, uh, uh, you know, you can do the classic chip clip on the nose. Uh, you can go cross-eyed. Uh, your nose hairs can fall out. All that stuff's good stuff. And if you want to take a picture with the dude's rock, make sure to speak with uh, Brutus, our pig cop there. And he will take a picture of you without shooting you for $100. So that's our man, Brutus, there. No, Brutus, he also has Febreze. If you'd like to use some Febreze. Right. They don't smell it anymore, so don't worry about them. They've been here so long. Also, they smell like shit, too, so it works for They everybody. enjoy the smell. Right. Now, moving past Brutus and the Dude's Rock, if you head into the next wing, this is one of our all-time most family-friendly and fun wings here. We got Bosco the Mummy. So... If you look in his exhibit, if you look in his exhibit, he's probably not there. He probably escaped and he's running around the museum being a pest. Chasing people, scaring people, popping out of places. uh, That's Bosco. He often will run away and somebody will step on, uh, uh, you know, the kind of toilet paper wrapping he is in and he'll go spinning, spinning, spinning. And you'll see his disgusting, burnt up, matchstick, mummified body at the very end. But then he'll say something like, oopsie daisy, and then make him spell spin backwards and spin (laughs) all of the toilet paper back onto his body in his previous mummy form. Well, the, uh, the funny thing about the, the Great Pyramids is that within the Great Pyramid, the main one, is there's over 300 bathrooms. <laughs> and people and people say, why do they need 300 bathrooms? They're all dead. And it's like, well, are they? Do you know that? It's kind of like an, in there. Yeah. If Bosco's alive, it could just be kind of like an apartment building uh, where no one can leave. Kind of like, you know, some shut-in thing on the, you know. Well, a pharaoh... Or mummies were buried with all their possessions or the best slaves, so why not be buried with a bathroom? Right. All their Xboxes and whatnot. Now, a uh, uh, quick short story on Bosco. Also, if you're interested and you go to the beer cart here, you can buy banana peels for $3. If you throw your banana peel on the ground, I guarantee Bosco will beeline right for it so he can slip on it. Uh, rakes are $7, and you don't get to keep them at the end. And he will step on those rakes, and they'll knock them, and he'll go cross-eyed, wandering around stuff. There are buckets hanging from the ceiling. If you yank one of the red cords, they will fall on Bosco's head, and he will ask the customary who turned out the lights. Again, all this will be explained by the pig cop working the register there. I think that's Brutus's brother, brother Doodoo. All right, so a quick backstory on Bosco the mummy, right? All the good mummies were taken. So we got stuck with Bosco, right? Every museum's got to have a mummy. So, you know, we had to spring for it. If you're Smithsonian, got a mummy. If you're, you know, American History Museum, you got a mummy. All of these places need mummies because that's what draws in the crowd, right? If you don't got a mummy, you're some bum, right? So we got stuck with Bosco, who was a vaudeville performer from 1914. And he was mummified on stage as a joke. Uh, I think it was an early kind of like Buster Keaton type thing where he got wrapped up in something and he was just supposed to shrug and go oopsie daisy when he was all covered in toilet paper. But guess what? He got drunk and took some pills and fell asleep in the desert of Las Vegas. And when he woke up, he was a dead mummy. He's still kicking around. He's evading our security. He's making jokes all the time. Like, you know, at the end of the day, when everybody's about to go home, he says, that's a wrap. And everybody laughs. And, you know, 
Anyway, he's the only mummy we got. It's really hard to get a mummy now. There's so many museums, and everybody's got a mummy, and, like, you just kind of have to settle for your mummy. So Bosco's our mummy. Everyone's starting to get, like, hot mummies, and he's just, you know, he's not that. And, you know, he's a vaudeville guy, and he's trying to still do, like, blackface material, and we got to tell Bosco to stop, but, you know, he don't know, know better. He's a vaudeville mummy. And, you know, so just, you know, Pretend he's funny, keep him happy. Uh, laugh. Don't his cut jokes. him in half. Yeah, don't cut him in half. Don't bring out his wayhander and just slice him in half. Right, he died in one hit. Um, you know. Don't ask him if he knows like booberry. He's harmless. He smells bad. Right. He'll probably he give you a disease. But yeah, I mean, he's all dried up, um, all crusty. Don't let him actually touch you. If he if he starts to get near you. Uh, Moving along here, we're going to move into this next room, which is very interactive, actually. This is our golem unit. Oh, yeah. This is kind of one for the kiddos that can kind of go and help. And you can see, like, All of you Minecraft and Fortnite-loving kids, we know what... We know... Hey, we're hip. We know what you're about. Right. We got all these clay blocks here. I'd like to see Ninja or Tfue build one of these. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't know what any... Tfue. It's right. okay. Just go. Just just go with it, Buzz. All right. So, so we know what kids like, and that is ancient Jewish mysticism. We got our clay blocks. We have our Jewish sorcerer here, and we are ready to make a golem. Right. So you can see at the diagrams there. You can build different types of golems. You can build a little manlet golem. You can. Uh, you have your. You get everyone gets a sigil sheet. Everyone gets a sigil sheet. Right. You get your sigils here, and then you can inscribe the ones you like, depending on which ele- which elements you right. want to base it on, or what um, purpose you want to make the golem for. Right. Everybody's got their hard working unit golem. We got our Ben unit golem, which is made to just be hit and kicked around. We got our tormentor golem, also known as the CJ golem, which is about seven feet tall and a hundred pounds. All these kind of golems here are illustrated in our Kabbalah handout. Which shows all the wizardry. Um, I would say the only thing to be aware of is that um, golems should not be built on a day where a debic has been spotted. Because that'll send everything haywire. So if there's a debic around, don't build a golem, please. Absolutely not. Absolutely. And uh, if you kind of come back around here and head through, the, head through the, to the next wing after getting your fill of the golem, we got our gift shop, everybody. So the museum gift shop, we got all the blue beer you can take home. We got all of our stuffed homo little keychains, little models. Right. You get a little you get a little Bosco, a little plastic Bosco. You can right. get a little plastic uh sulfur elf. Yeah, you can get any kind you of could, rep- you could you could buy uh boar mustard, which is not, right. like, not really mustard boar mustard, but it's you know it's kind of you know, kind of campy you- but kind of charming and you can get a replica of the Monsanto Empire Blood Goblet, which only is suitable for child blood, by the way. So don't try to put anybody else's blood in it. I mean, we you suggest... Your, you you, could, everyone had, like, you could buy your kids. There's uh, kids' phylacteries that you could buy in there. Right, so you can kind of put there. We have, um, you know, just genetically modified grain that will kind of give you different things. We have some magic beans for sale. Yeah, Percy. some glow-in-the-dark stuff, of course, along with Spaceman ice cream, which is just freeze-dried shit. Uh, Monsanto uh, was happy and uh, was uh, helpful enough to provide us with a, a very own uh, reincarnated night chicken, kind of Jurassic Park style. So we mm-hmm. got real night chickens for sale that have been resurrected, and uh, those are just a, a treat for everybody. So if you can build a night chicken, or if you can buy a night chicken, I suggest to take it. It's really cool. Its eggs taste like shit, and they're green and bright, so you can eat them in the dark, which I guess is okay if you're the some kids kind love of, it. And it's yeah. just cool. Now, we have to, Dr. Buzz, Gimbal, and I have to be on a flight. That's right. Where are we headed, by the way? Are we headed to Missouri? Well, I thought, are we headed to Missouri? Are we headed to the, the Ozarks? We we're, looking, to... we're looking for Momo. We're on an expedition for Momo. Right, but we're for the Momo Challenge, we're looking for Momo. Right, we're looking for Momo. Dan Aykroyd is paying us each $100,000 to find Momo. So we're going to Missouri to find the stink ape, Momo the monster. 
The Missouri Monster, the Momo, or Momo from the Momo Challenge? Oh, I can I see how I thought we'd find the confusing. one from the Momo Challenge. Which, I th- like, I, I'm pretty sure he's... Uh, I, I thought he was talking about the Stink Ape the whole time. She's probably in Japan or somewhere. So right. we're going to Japan or we're going to Missouri. Well, the thing is, I, I don't know which Momo we're looking for. I thought we were okay. going to find the large Bigfoot-style ape in rural Missouri that's known to smell like a skunk and is scared of cars. That's why Dan sent us a life supply of Skull Vodka? I mean, I just assumed he was... I don't know. I just assumed everybody... Anytime every, People have been talking about Momo okay. a lot lately. And okay, I thought, well, oh, why don't we sm- do this? We'll look for both. All right, so where are we going? Because I don't think they're, they're going to associate... We'll start out with Missouri. We'll look for the Stink Ape Momo. And then we can find the other Momo. We can go to Japan and look for that one, right? I think it's Japan. I don't know. I, I will say this, okay? Because mine's going to be way easier to find just because it smells so bad. And, like, you can hide, but if you smell like shit, you smell like doo-doo, you know, I, I, I do it. I wrote a thesis saying that Momo was just a creature straight from the Dung Age, back when everything smelled like shit, and it's the last survivor. Hmm. Well, if we're looking for that Momo that keeps killing all those girls along with, like, like the teenage girls with Slenderman or whatever, then we well, can find the, that, too. With the breasts. With the breasts or breath? Uh, why, don't, why don't we got to make it to the flight? So if we're going right. to have this audio tour here, thank you for listening. This All has right. been paid for and provided by the great Monsanto company and conglomerate. And we are going to be back within four weeks for our opening exhibit. And what are we, what are we showing there, Dr. Gimbel? Well, I'm really hoping and praying that we can show everyone a great big Momo the Monster stink ape corpse that I shot in the face with a Smith & Wesson gun. But if not, we will be showing something boring like a slideshow on a series of rocks. Either way, everyone wins but us. Thus concludes the Terra Hot Smithsonian Audio Walking Tour. Please return your headset and audio equipment to the nearest beer kiosk, in which case you will be given complimentary one blue beer for the price of, well, you have to buy two to get the free one, but it's complimentary. Thank you for coming to Terra Hot Smithsonian 2. Goodbye. Thank you for listening.